So mindfulness is really a mental training that helps us, helps the brain do what it can do, but what it's not getting a lot of practice at, which is to stay present, to know what's going on on the inside, i.e. our physical sensations, our emotions, and on the outside at the same time from moment to moment. Welcome to Zestful Aging, where I interview inspiring and influential guests who are making their mark on the world and contributing to the common good. Making your mark, big or small, is creating a legacy, and it's one of the proven ways we can age with energy and joy. Zestful Aging Podcast is my legacy. I'm your host, Nicole Christina, psychotherapist and fellow Zestful Ager. Our music is courtesy of Judy Banker. Find out more at judybanker.com. And to find out more about this podcast, my web courses, and other offerings, hop on over to ZestfulAging.com. And while you're there, sign up for my email newsletter, The Zest, where you will get behind-the-scenes looks at my interviews and other fun tidbits. Hi there. Spring has definitely sprung, and I'm seeing little purple crocuses popping up in my neighborhood. And to celebrate the season, I'm taking $20 off of my popular Zestful Aging web course. You will learn the tried and true ways to add zest and vitality to your life, and it comes with a booklet I made just for the course. It's all based on science and my 30 years as a psychotherapist. So Hop on over to ZestfulAging.com for more information and use the code SPRING2021. You will get $20 off the course and it is going to be a great way to start the season. Now back to the show. Well, I've got my little loyal Jack Russell Sparky right beside me, so let's begin. Millions of people are using mindfulness tools to help them feel better in these times of craziness and uncertainty. And apps like Headspace and Calm are booming. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with a leader in the movement to teach these skills to people around the world. Elise Bailu is the founder of Mindful in May, the world's largest online global mindfulness campaign that teaches thousands of people each year to meditate while raising funds to build clean water projects in the developing world. She was a doctor trained in psychiatry. She turned to uh, become a mindfulness teacher and a social entrepreneur, and she is passionate about supporting individuals and organizations to develop inner tools to flourish. And she's also the author of the number one best-selling meditation book, The Happiness Plan. Her work has been featured in the Huffington Post, New York Times, and on Australian television. And that's where we join her today in Australia. Welcome. Welcome to the show, Elise. Thank you so much, Nicole. It's a pleasure to be here. I am uh, thinking a lot about Australia because I am following the Australian Open right now. And is that something you're watching? Oh, look, I am at home 
in a mini lockdown with two young kids. So uh-huh. I am not watching much at the moment except Matthew, for my little kids. Watching, you're not <laughs> wondering if Serena can pull it off. You're thinking of other things. I have no idea what Serena's doing right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, that's that's funny I was just on her Twitter feed so uh, but anyway I digress I'm so close so, yet so far away <laughs> so let me ask you Elise you uh were trained in psychiatry and I'm wondering what made you become aware of mindfulness I suspect you were pretty busy with your patients and your training so how did mindfulness um uh enter your life it's a long story, but I'm going to keep it short and I'll try and be succinct. And <laughs> okay. look, I, I think the key, the, the key thing to this story is that I went into psychiatry because I was really passionate about understanding the brain and helping people really use their brains in the most optimal way. And although psychiatry taught me a hell of a lot and I really value that education, I felt there was something missing. And so I became aware of meditation through actually my, my mom, who, who was a psychologist. I grew up with all the books, you know, the John Kabat-Zinn's and the Jack Cornfields. But it wasn't until I was actually at a conference that I went to where I saw uh, one of the leaders in this space, Richie Davidson, um, speaking about meditation and the brain. And this was, this was over, you know, nearly two decades ago. And, mm-hmm. you know, he put, a, he put an MRI an MRI scan on, on the, on the screen. And it showed the changes that had happened in the brain of someone that was meditating for a number of months regularly. And so coming from this place of scientific rigor and really valuing the science, but also having had exposure to meditation, I was really struck. I, I it was at that moment, I, I thought, Oh my God, I know where I'm going now because I, I, I was slightly disillusioned with psychiatry. I felt that I wasn't learning all about, I was learning about brains that really are at their worst and, and when people are really, really unwell, but I wasn't learning the tools to help people develop a brain and maintain a brain that is really, really healthy. So it was at that moment that I thought, wow, this is the area I really want to be in where science intersects with meditation. Mm-hmm. I see. You know, I know that the complaints of psychiatrists in the States anyway, or, you know, that they go into the field to really help people, but they feel like they're often just dispensing prescriptions and that it feels empty after a while. They feel like almost technicians, you bring your car in and they, you know, change the oil and then it's have a nice day. Mm. Yeah. Look, I think it's the, the culture is different in different countries, but certainly there's no doubt about the fact that psychiatry brings a lot of value and that medication are absolutely life-saving. I mean, I worked in public psychiatry. I dealt with very, very unwell people and I saw the incredible life-saving effect of medication. But I think that, you know, there's also the other side of actually helping people to learn about the mind and how to use it to its best effect and how to make sure that we've got tools that we can manage with the everyday overwhelm and stress that comes up for all of us as humans so that we have inner resources for resilience so that we have another Mm -hmm. set of tools that we can turn to. Mm -hmm. And so as a, um, 
as a physician, are you at this point, are you seeing patients and suggesting that they use mindfulness techniques? How do you, I know that you have this huge global campaign, but are you also talking to individual patients? No. So, so I, I stopped doing that only because the work in mindfulness, you know, it became so ironically busy. There is such a high demand. Uh, So Mm -hmm. now, you know, I, I'm often approached by colleagues for recommendations of, you know, how they can incorporate mindfulness in, in their practice. Um, and I'm running lots of programs to yeah, support people in mindfulness, but I'm not doing one-on-one work anymore uh, because simply because of the fact that, you know, I, I'm, I found my passion and, mm. and my, my place. And that is really Your in teaching. <laughs> in te- well, it's just, you know, there's a need in the world. And I think, because I can translate the science in a way that's accessible, um, it, it just attracts people to come and to come and learn. So that's what I'm doing full time now. So tell us about Mindful in May. What what is that all about, and how did that get started? So Mindful in May is really a global online movement where people come together and they actually register for this program that runs for a month over May. And I bring together the world's leading experts in the field of mindfulness in the brain. And people basically get daily resources that, you know, they get taken by the hand and whether you're a completely new meditator or someone that has meditated, but just fallen off track because we know how hard it is to maintain habits. You get this kind of day by day program, including interviews and guided meditations. And the thing is, it's not just about helping yourself because it's this do good aspect as well, where people come on board and then they're invited to actually dedicate this practice in this month to something bigger than themselves and raise money or donate funds to clean water in developing countries. And so really it came about because I was teaching mindfulness uh, to many groups and I was finding that one, people were often asking me, you know, I'm so busy. I've got kids, I'm working. I really don't have time. Do I have to do it for 30, 40 minutes? How long do I have to meditate to get the benefits? So I actually wanted to create a program that people could do obviously from their own homes. And that most importantly was science backed and accessible and doable to a busy person. So the mm-hmm. mindful in May is about committing 10 minutes a day and that's it. Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah. You're and really, you're really uh, going where the need is and really trying to understand how people feel and what their limits are right now. Absolutely. And, and added to that was that because we were doing this and it had such a massive reach and there were thousands of people signing up every year, we then went and actually um, explored it and, and did a research study on the program with Monash University. And we found that it, it was because we wanted to answer the question, is 10 minutes a day for a month enough to actually create benefits? And we found through the research that it was because a lot of the studies in mindfulness were um, based on a program where the participants needed to do 30 to 40 minutes a day. And that just leaves a lot of people feeling like they're failures. So mm-hmm. I think the exciting thing was that there was uh, measurable outcomes that suggested that after a month of 10 minutes a day, people were feeling Um, more able to be present. They were experiencing greater positive emotions, reduced negative emotions. And there was a scale called the flourishing scale and they, they reported greater flourishing after a month. So I think Mm. that was really, it's a really encouraging to know that, you know, if you stick to this kind of thing and you just commit to it 
for the month, you're going to, you're going to get better. You're going to feel better and there's going to be benefits. There's a payback. So I'm realizing, you know, we've already been talking for several minutes and I'm assuming, and I think it's a fair assumption that most of uh, our listeners know what mindfulness is. Um, but could you define or use the definition you like best to describe what this 10 minutes is all about? Mm, sure. I think you're right. I think it's very sort of almost common knowledge, but I do think there's lots of different ideas still floating around, which aren't really connected to the, the, the training, you know, it's become a bit of a colloquial word word. Like people say, Oh yeah, I'm mindful when I swim or when I, you know, play tennis, whatever, which you can be. But I think in essence, we know that evolutionarily the mind was configured in such a way that we can, you know, we plan into the future because this was a survival skill. This is how we evolved. We, we, our minds can time travel. They're really good at time traveling even into the past or into the future. And so the capacity of our minds to stay present to what's going on in this moment is limited, particularly now with the challenge of technology and this kind of outward pull and the way that things are fragmenting our attention all the time. So just like physical training you know we can't just let our bodies do nothing or they kind of get unconditioned we actually need to be training the mind to learn how to stay more present in this age of distraction and so mindfulness is really a mental training that helps us helps the brain do what it can do but what it's not getting a lot of practice at which is to stay present to know what's going on on the inside i.e our physical sensations, our emotions, and on the outside at the same time from moment to moment. And through practicing this, we get a better capacity to meet life in every moment with greater wisdom and less reactivity. And so this is applicable to our family lives, whether you've got kids, you know, I've got toddlers tantruming, or you've got teenagers, whether you don't have kids and you're focused on work and, you know, you can gain much more capacity to manage under pressure and manage difficult conversations because you're more present to what's going on. So it's really a practice that benefits all aspects of your life. And, you know, we know that children have this capacity. I watch my one and a half year old and she's so in the moment, a sound comes and she just notices it straight away. But as we grow and evolve, um, our brains become a lot more distracted and there's more complexity that we need to manage. So mindfulness mm-hmm. helps us manage this complexity as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that description. Um, what are the challenges you already talked about? Like we're busy, we fall off our habits. Are there any other challenges that, um, your, your people, your students have, um, experienced? Yeah, look, there's, there are many. And I think some of the challenges relate to, particularly for people that are newer to meditation, you know, they've seen the apps, they know it's in their atmosphere, but they haven't quite done it. Or maybe they've tried an app, but they haven't had a teacher. And so the biggest one is when people try meditation and then they experience that their minds just don't stop thinking and they can't focus. And it actually can be quite distressing because they feel that there's something particularly wrong with their mind. Like, Oh my God, my mind doesn't stop thinking. (laughs) Everyone else can meditate, but something, you know, I'm particularly distracted. Yeah. So I think that's a really big one. And I think it's an important misconception to, to get rid of because 
that you know meditation and mindfulness is not about stopping thinking and in fact we say that when you start you will actually notice the mind thinking you'll you'll notice the thoughts racing they call it like the waterfall in the mind more than if you hadn't practiced and in fact that's actually a really good thing because it's the first step to noticing the nature of the mind and what actually goes on when you're not even paying attention so i think that's a big challenge i think another challenge is that and i often use the analogy to exercise people might start meditation and they're not really feeling the benefits because you can start and you can sit down and actually it can be quite agitating initially because we're so restless and agitated that sitting still can be very difficult. So I would say just like exercise, when you go to the gym for the first week, you're kind of dragging yourself there and it's so hard (laughs) and you just don't necessarily, you really don't feel good when you're doing it. It's only when you build up a bit of Um, fitness in that capacity that it starts Mm -hmm. to really feel good and it also you notice that it benefits you outside of the gym training which is the same as meditation so I would say to people that you really need to stick at it for a good month like really commit to it for a month which is again why I sort of created that supportive resource in Mindful in May and not judge you know, disregard whether it's feeling good or not. That's irrelevant. You know, it's because I think there's a big myth that people come to meditation to bliss out or, oh, I just need to meditate and feel calm when actually the opposite can be true. It can, it can actually shine a light on how stressed you are and how fidgety and agitated. Hey everyone, I wanted to tell you about a powerful new tool that supports your mental and emotional health in what are extremely trying times. And you may remember that I've been a psychotherapist for 30 years and I'm always a little suspicious of products that claim to help us feel less anxious, depressed, or worried. But then I was introduced to a new kind of app called Cope Notes, and I have become a big fan. Cope Notes was developed by a guy who spent a lot of his life trying to figure out what might help support him through his own weekly psychotherapy sessions. Cope Notes is an app that gives you random texts through the day to break through some of the negative messages that might be repeating in your head. It's well-researched and has been a adopted by many mental health facilities. I highly recommend it. I think we can all use a little support right now. So check out copenotes.com forward slash zestful. I will receive a small portion of those proceeds. Um, And I'd love to hear your feedback about how it works for you. Now back to the show. Mm-hmm. Are there any particular applications um, specific to aging and some of the concerns that come up even more specifically to aging women? Um, how, how would mindfulness uh, mm. be uh, helpful? Mm. I'm just thinking about that. There's a couple of different ways, I think. So, So we know from, and I'm sure, you know, you've had many guests on the show that have spoken directly to this, but we now know that, you know, the idea that you just deteriorate into aging is not true. And the fact that 
the more we use our minds and our bodies, the greater we can sustain the function of them. And so that pertains to the brain, obviously. And we know there's some fantastic, I actually interviewed um, a wonderful neuroscientist, Michael Merzenich, uh, that was part of Mindful in May. He has that program Brain HQ, which is fabulous. And it's all about, you know, we, we need to use the brain. And so mindfulness training it's, it's a form of exercise for the brain. You're, it's, it looks like you're doing nothing when you're sitting there with your eyes closed, but it's actually a, it's a discipline and it's, and it's quite, there's effort that goes in. And so we know that, you know, from brain scans, when you, when you're doing this for a number of months in a regular way, your, the architecture of your brain is actually changing in a way that, you know, the prefrontal cortex, which we know is sort of that really important part of, of the brain for humans, which helps us around decision-making and focus and concentration, you know, that's actually thickening and growing when we do a a few months of mindfulness. So we know with aging that the brain can actually shrink. And so anything that, that is an activity, I mean, you know, it doesn't have to be mindfulness, but mindfulness is a powerful way of actually exercising the brain. And we know that it, it does actually grow the, 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 the physical architecture of the brain. So that's one thing. I think the other thing is that because of the mind body connection, even though meditation or mindfulness is a, is a mental activity, we know that it has a very profound effect on the body as well. And so I wanted to just share perhaps one piece of research, which was uh, through Richie Davidson, who I've already referenced, but mm-hmm. he looked, and this, this, this research really astounded me because he looked at mindfulness and he took people and, and he got them to meditate and he put them in a program for a full day. So five or six hours. And then he took blood tests and he measured that the gene expression had actually changed after a full day of mm. mindfulness practice. Oh my goodness. And it, and, and it was related to, cause we know that genes, you know, that you can turn the volume up or down on them. And this was related to genes that are connected to inflammation in the body. So genes that produce inflammatory proteins were actually turned down after a day of practice. And so the relevance for this in terms of aging is that we know that a lot of the chronic illnesses that both men and women experience are related to chronic inflammation in the body. And so, you know, you can imagine that's just the tip of the iceberg. As he said, this was very recent and it's only just the beginning, but what it does suggest is that you know, this mental practice is through the mind body connection is having really a profound effect on the body in really positive ways. So anything you can do to reduce inflammation in the body is going to put you in a much better place as you age. Mm-hmm. I see. Yeah. I think I remember uh, reading that so many chronic illnesses are at their base, uh, chronic inflammation. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm, that's so helpful. And, you know, I think about the 10 minutes and I think when we're scrolling on our social media, mm. that 10 minutes goes by in a flash. And if Absolutely. we could just trade and say, okay, I'll look at Facebook in a minute, but first I'm going to maybe take some deep breaths, be aware of my surroundings, feet on the floor, all of this. And then I can see what's happening on Facebook might be a really fair trade. Absolutely. <laughs> And, you know, I think about that a lot because there's that thing where people say, I just, you know, I don't have time, but I think mm-hmm. that anyone listening could admit that I do have time for 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, you just, you do. And so then it's a question of life design and prioritization. 
The problem is that all these things like Facebook and social media, they're designed to tap into addiction and, and they really are creating addiction for us. So we have to really, and that's where, you know, bringing mindful living into play where taking a step back and really looking honestly at how you've designed your life and the basic things like, are you sleeping with your phone in your room? You know, like you need to design it so that you're protecting yourself from that in like, it's, it's so hard to not pick up the phone if it's right next to you when you wake up in the morning. And then we know that if you do that, there goes 10, 15 minutes. So it's really about also setting up the environment to support your practice and that's why with Mindful in May, you know, we, we really, we talk about this stuff and it's like, I think one of the other things I've learned is for all of us to create better habits, we need community that feels so important. And so Mindful in May is a community, you know, and it's an interactive community and it doesn't have to be Mindful in May, it can be anything, but I think that's where sometimes the apps fall a little short where it's relying on you by yourself, you know, to yeah, check yeah. in. So any habit you want to create, you need to find a community of accountability, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yes. Do, would you just talk for a moment um, as someone who understands the brain? You said that the uh, social um, media has been really designed to keep you on and to to addict you. Could you talk just a little bit about the science of that? I think our audience would be really interested to hear. Mm, um, mm. Yeah. Yeah, look, I think that essentially, you know, it's it's really about habit formation and we know that what we do regularly with frequency gets embedded into the habit centers of the brain. So first of all, we do something, there's a trigger, we do something, and then we get a spike of dopamine. There's a sense of reward. We have reward centers in the brain. So it sets up this cycle where, you know, we we check social media aimlessly, we see something, you know, or we check our own thing and then someone's liked our thing and then that gives us a hit of dopamine. And so that, so that circuit is reinforced, but then even more significantly, that then gets embedded into the habit center of the brain, the, gang, the, um, the basal ganglia and these kind of parts of the brain, where then that, that behavior becomes automatic. It's like if you, you know, think about in the past where people were smoking, I mean, when you think about it, people are lighting a fire to their nose without even paying attention. You're putting fire like right next to your face and you're not even thinking about it because it's gone into the, it's gone into the habit center. And so once something's built into the habit center, it becomes automatic and it's sort of on autopilot. So there's a lot of work that needs to happen to build the other habit that, you know, that, that, that gets built in, which is why they say, yeah, which is why they say you need about 21 days to build a habit because you need to Mm -hmm. practice that, that reinforcement. So, you know, the brain was designed so that we can do things automatically. Like we learn how to drive and we don't, you know, you remember when you learn how to drive, how complex I remember the feeling of, Oh my God, how do I manage this manual gear stick and pay attention to the roads? And so, (laughs) Our brains and are drive on the other side of the road. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and now people texting and driving and driving uh, manual and whatever else. Right. Thankfully, there'll be driverless cars soon. But the point mm-hmm. is that it's a brilliant feature of the brain that mm-hmm. when we repeat activities, they get embedded into the, the habit center. So the point there is it becomes unconscious. We don't have to worry about it. But 
with all the challenges of technology, that's a really dangerous thing because if we're not mindful, then we're very quickly embedding these checking Facebook before bed and before you know it up till one in the morning. And that becomes a habit. So, you know, I think that's also where mindfulness is really relevant and helpful. Now it's not just about you know meditating. It's about bringing mindfulness. So the awareness of what am I doing in the present moment to our interactions and to everything we're doing so that when you catch yourself on social media, you actually have the awareness to say, hang on a sec, do I really want to be doing this? Is this aligned with my values and what I want most? And if you then there's another layer of awareness where you can actually feel the addiction because you can feel it. You can feel yourself saying, no, I don't really want to be doing this, but I'm going to just keep doing it because it feels good, you know? Mm. So anyway, so there's there's multiple, and, and there has been a lot written about mindfulness and addiction. There's a wonderful book by Judson Brewer, who also has been part of Mindfully May called The, um, the Craving Mind, which I highly mm. recommend mm. for the listeners mm. who are interested. I see. So it, I think it's fair to say then that don't expect this to uh, be without challenges. That if you're saying I want to sit for 10 minutes and commit myself to mindful in May, there may be times when you say, yeah, but I haven't checked my Facebook feed yet and I only have 10 minutes. Yeah. Um, and, and so that you might notice kind of a, a craving, I guess, is absolutely is the word. And to say okay I feel the craving I'm aware of it um, and then I'm gonna choose to do something that mm. is m- more in my best interest absolutely a hundred percent and you know so it's tricky it is tricky I think that's a really good point to kind of set people up with a clear expectation that this is going to be challenging but it's going to reap mm. serious rewards in your life and mm-hmm. you know if it actually what it also teaches us mindfulness is what's called discomfort resilience mm-hmm. so this is the the ability to sit with what's difficult in service of something good so not just sitting in pain for pain's sake but you know there's many times in life where to 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 move forward towards what we most value we have to kind of tolerate some suffering again coming back to exercise if you want to be vital and fit you have to be able to tolerate the discomfort of you know the pain of lifting a weight or the exhaustion or whatever it is so mindfulness actually teaches us how to learn to stay with difficult feelings in service of getting greater wisdom or moving forward to to what most matters in our life Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and I can appreciate that as a psychotherapist talking about, well, can you tolerate it for one minute? Yeah. <laughs> can you just put your toe in it and then exactly. you know, go back and write? Oh, that's that's really, um, that sounds so important. What are your hopes for Mindful in May if we kind of look out in the future? What, what would you most like to happen to this? Look, I my hope is that the ex look the experts and the program and the tools are just so life-changing that I really just hope that as many people find out about it as possible because I I just you know I've seen through the I've really seen through the years thousands of people they write to me at the end they're like oh my god I can't believe this has been going on for seven years how did I miss it I wish I would have done it sooner I've learned so much so I think that you know, my mission is really that there is so much to learn about ourselves and the brain and our minds. And 
I just hope that as many people as possible learn these skills because we only have one life. And it just, I think the saddest thing is when we're imprisoned by our own mental, unhelpful mental habits that create so much extra suffering that doesn't need to happen. Would you say that this is your legacy, Elise, is creating these kind of programs? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I've got a, I've got two daughters and I often think, you know, there's this library now of incredible interviews and, you know, I, I often think, wow, it's going to be incredible once they're a bit older and they can just sit and watch this and learn from all these wisdom teachers and, yeah, and also not to, not to forget the importance of the cause. So, you know, we have raised nearly a million dollars for clean water mm-hmm. and, that's, you know, over 16,000 people that have had clean water that's literally changed their lives. And Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm always really moved by the stories and, you know, just hearing, you know, there was a, there was one story about this woman who she was in her seventies and, and they came to the African village and they, they built this water well and the water started pouring out and she started crying. And someone came up and said, what are you crying about? She said, you know, I've spent my whole life carrying water for days and hours and just all those years. And I'm just so thrilled that, you know, the next generation, they're not going to have to waste their lives just back and forth. You know, this is incredible. So, um, it's just such a, it's such a basic need. And I think that again, um, it's about equality and social justice. And it's about, you know, when we turn our attention outwards and we get out of our own way, you know, we can do something good for ourselves, but doing something good for others is, is, is a path to happiness as well. Mm-hmm. And that's been proven again and again. So inspiring. Um, and I want to give our audience um, the information exactly where they can find out more about how to sign up for Mindful in May. Sure. Yeah. So look, if you're listening before May, then, well, you can go to mindfulinmay.org and okay. the global campaign runs throughout May. So you have to register before then. Um, there's mm-hmm. a small registration fee and then you're invited um, to make a donation if you want to be part of the cause. Uh, and then outside of the global campaign, I'm always running different online programs that you can find out about on that website as well. Um, or alternatively, the book, The Happiness Plan, is somewhat based off the Mindful in May program. So people were asking, you know, why, how, why can't we do this outside of May? So I sort of wrote the book as a support for people that kind of miss, miss the May program. And that has guided meditations, links to, to, to guided meditations as well. Perfect. Oh, I'm so excited to learn more about it. Uh, it just, it's, it's just so inspiring. And I'm so grateful that we had uh, some time together, uh, evening for me, morning for you. And I really appreciate what you're doing. So for, and likewise. For who, so for folks who want to find out more about this, it's mindfulinmay.org. And I will put the links to that in the description so you can Um, take a look at that and uh, when this is of course when we go live with this all the links will be up so Elise thank you so much for I know you don't have a lot of time without your girls running around my pleasure (laughs) so I so so thankful that you joined me my pleasure uh, and yeah I just want to say you know you're doing such wonderful things that the conversations you're having are so important as well so thank you 
Hey, lovely listeners, I have something really special to share with you. I recently interviewed Dr. Elise Bailu, who is the founder of Mindfulness in May. Every May, thousands of people worldwide join the program featuring the world's best experts and build mental resilience through committing to 10 minutes of meditation per day, while also raising funds to address the world's most urgent global issues. Over the last eight years, Mindful in May has taught over 40,000 people to meditate while raising $800,000 to bring clean, safe drinking water to the developing world. Well, I'm going to give out five free registrations for Mindful in May to the listeners of Zestful Aging who write the most descriptive and original five-star review of Zestful Aging on whatever platform you use to listen. And after you rate the show, please copy and paste your review and send it to me at ZestfulAging.com with instructions on how to contact you. The contest ends April 30th, and I'll be joining the program in May, and I can't wait. And please check out mindfulinmay.org. It's really special. Look for Elise Bailu's episode coming soon. Now, back to the show. Thank you so much for joining us on Zestful Aging. If you like the podcast, please share it with some of your friends. I love to hear from my listeners. Send me an email at NicoleChristina.com. It's no secret that everyone's feeling pretty restless and unsettled right now. Our lives are upside down and the future is feeling pretty uncertain. But if you're anything like me, organizing my stuff can help me feel a little calmer. It's something I can do to help me feel a little more in control and in charge of my own life. If you think decluttering could help you feel better and you could use a little assistance with that, check out the online course I've developed with professional organizer and designer, Carrie Luteran. It's called Too Much Stuff. And too much stuff is different from other courses or articles or guidance you may have used. Uh, we give you clear steps to deal with the clutter and the tools to help you face the overwhelming feelings and the emotions that come up when we're going through our clutter. And a lot of those emotions are just feeling anxious or guilty or just basically flooded with a lot of different confusing feelings. The course is really practical. It's realistic. The lessons are short and punchy, and they're really manageable. We're not trying to set you up for some long, exploratory, you know, super in-depth, uh, burdensome experience. We want something really helpful for you right now. We all need help with our anxiety. So, being surrounded by more calm and less chaos can really help. So now's a good time to clear out the clutter so we can focus on what's really important in our lives. So find out more at zestfulaging.com. You'll see more about this under the web courses tab. If you have any questions, just shoot me an email at zestfulaging at gmail.com.
Thanks so much. And stay tuned next week for another interview with a fascinating and inspiring guest.